Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Spark. We tell true stories. We tell them live. And we tell them all across the UK. This first story was told by Jen. At the Hackney Picture House. When the theme was borders. Um, so I'm originally from upstate New York, but not New York City. The easiest way to describe that is I'm closer to Canada than New York City. And where I'm from, there's lots of parks large parks, miles, you know, miles and miles. And I grew up near them. And my dad, he very much, when I was a kid, thought that my brother and I should know how to, for whatever reason, be able to be in a forest with nothing but a compass and be able to find our way to a waterfall, if we would like, on a map that we would happen to have. So he would take us on random excursions, orienteering trips, he would call them. And one time, it was my brother and I and my dad. My brother was three years older than me, so naturally, it was my dad and I versus my brother. I was probably eight, so my brother would have been 11. And um, we went to a national park close to um, our home, maybe like 10 minutes drive away. Got out of the car, there aren't really many trails, and we basically looked at the actual physical map and we're like, okay, so, Let's all try to get to this waterfall three miles away. Whoever gets there first wins. Just wait around for the other person or my dad and I. Great. So we have a compass, bottle of water each, and we had cell phones each, except this was when it was new to have cell phones. They didn't really work many places, but we thought it was fine. So we start, and it's just grand. It's great. I'm excited. My dad always takes us on exciting adventures. Don't know what's going to happen. I'm really excited to beat beat my brother. Um, we get maybe like an hour in and I have already been asking my dad, do you know where we are? And he would say, yeah, yeah, you know, like, look at the map, look at the compass, it's north, we want to go north, great. And then probably around an hour in, hour and a half, I go, you know, I just remember we just, we were just lost and he, he's like, yep, Jennifer, we're lost. Um, so what then entailed was, well, first we happened to find ourselves in a swamp we were off of the main trail somehow, and my dad loses a boot in mud, like mud that goes up to your knee. And I remember I was really upset about that. And then I was upset when he clearly didn't know where we were. And we finally get back onto dry ground. 
And all of a sudden, I'm like, Dad, why is there, you know, it's kind of clear. There's like, kind of like a bit of a clearing. It's like, oh, this is great news. We'll be able to at least find another human. And then I look up, and there's these, like, hunting platforms, like, um, you know, where you would, like, shoot deer from and that sort of thing, because hunting's a big thing from where I'm from. And um, there are, like, these fake deer with bolt holes in them on the path that we're walking on. And there's, like, little, like, lofts and trees where clearly, you know, people would practice shooting from. And all of a sudden, my dad goes, okay, we're going to get off of this path back to the swamp, it's fine. <laughs> so at this point I start crying, I am nine. And oh, we had tried to call my brother and the cell phone literally connected, we couldn't hear each other and then cut out. So yeah, no idea where he was. Basically, we end up probably meandering the forest for another two or three hours. By this point, I'm really, really tired, really thirsty, really, really scared. I think talking actually to my dad since then, he was also quite frightened. Um, and it's not getting dark, but you know, it's that kind of in-between time where it's dusk, so you see the darkness coming. And it's very, it gets even more terrifying thinking about being a shadow where there are deer with bullet holes nearby. So finally, long story short, we end up stumbling out into the backyard of a house, which was really, really, really exciting. So we come up through the backyard, and we literally go around to the front, knock on the door, and this lady in her, like, in her 40s opens the door and just like stares at us. And goes, hi, can we use your phone? And at this point, we are both covered in mud. I'm crying. I look like I've honestly like, you know, just been through a terrible experience. My dad does not look much better. Also, he has like a big like beard hair. We look like we're just, we've been living in the woods. The woman very kindly lets us use the phone, called my mom, who's a very anxious person and promptly freaked out, came, found us, and we actually ended up driving around the, around the park for just an hour or two on the roads, trying to look for my brother, like calling out helplessly, like David, David to the woods, just because we didn't know what to do. And we ended up finding him as it was getting dark, sitting on a tree trunk in a parking lot at the trailhead, just sitting there. He, he was thinking he was just going to sleep, spend the night. And um, yeah, my dad was not in good graces with my mom for a little while. So thank you. That was Shen. This next story is told by Shahed. And the same night at the Hackney Picture House. So it's a story about my dad, um, partly about my dad, who did uh, sort of fit, who died a little while ago. They sort of my so he kind of had a fairly you know sort of difficult life if you like. Came from India uh, after partition. Um, There's a lot of violence, so they had to leave, and they had they went to uh, Pakistan, lived there for some time. Again, the whole sort of family was kind of moved, and then some of them came here to the UK. Some of them went to America. So he settled here in, in London, uh, met my mum here. Um, they had the family and so on and, you know, carried on kind of living um, sort of fairly happily ever after, as it were. And um, at some point, uh, uh, sort of in the recent uh, past, he was diagnosed with cancer. And those kind of things, you know, you always sort of think, and also from speaking to other people who have family members who get sort of cancer or terminal illnesses, people always think that it's, all, it's actually all going to get better. Sometimes they do, you know, and that's great. Uh, or they can go into remiss and so on. But sometimes they don't. And sometimes particular types of cancer, they just, um, they're very uh, kind of aggressive. And this was one of those ones. So 
you're always sort of thinking, well, even though everything's kind of going downhill, you're always sort of thinking, actually, you know, there's a kind of turn around the corner and things are going to get better and so on and so on. So you kind of delude yourself through these kind of processes. And a lot of people are familiar with that process of living with uh, people with terminal uh, illnesses. But um, eventually he did pass away. Um, you know, it was probably good that it was shorter rather than a longer sort of stretched out thing. And one of the things that I think that we're sort of quite fortunate about is that we had him in the house. So it was a very kind of personal, intimate process. So it wasn't hospitalised, uh, it wasn't sort of medicalised. Um, it was quite natural in many ways. So he passed away in the house. Um, we basically carried him to the sort of undertaker's car the next day. And we took him to uh, the place to, to the place where we sort of washed the body. And in our uh, sort of culture that we're involved in the whole kind of process. So myself, my brother, and a couple of the nephews, we sort of did the washing of the body, put him in a shroud, prepare him quite nicely, you know, sort of put perfume on and so on and so on. And the burial happens kind of pretty quickly. So we took him to the burial ground. Uh, well, you take him to the mosque first, and then lots of people come and they do a prayer, and then take him to the burial ground pretty much the same day. So this is literally the day after uh, the, the day after the death. And uh, it's all a very kind of hands-on sort of process. So it's not a very formal uh, sort of uh, a process. So lots of people get involved. The body's in a shroud. You take the body to the shroud. So I, myself, my brother, and the undertaker are basically putting him in the ground. So we're kind of carrying him in a shroud. Or people are helping carrying him in a shroud on ropes. And then we climb down into the grave. Um, so literally we get on a ladder down into the grave. So you're kind of standing there in this pit... Uh, with the ground up to there, and you just can see everybody's feet. And um, and then the body's passed down to you. So I'm sort of standing there uh, with this body in this shroud being passed down to me. So I kind of I'm, I cradle it like this. There's three of us holding the body, and you sort of cradle it. Uh, and and uh, so like this, you're holding the body in your arms, and then you um, kind of put it down. So I kissed him, and I put him down on the ground. And then we climb out of the grave and then um, sort of everybody basically comes and gets a bit of earth and throws it in and then gradually people do as much as they can but you can't do much sort of by hand so then the digger comes and um, fills the rest of it in. And one of the things that uh, struck me about the whole process, one is that how it's not something that we're used to, kind of people dying and it's not something that's part of our environment and um, it's such a kind of taboo and it's something that's so kind of outside of us and that, that's... They'll have to kind of bring borders in. I suppose this is one of the kind of big borders that we kind of construct uh, around us is um, around the whole process of people dying. The other thing really is that... So I was very kind of... I felt very kind of fortunate that I'd had this whole... Uh, so we'd had this whole kind of process where we've been able to be very intimately involved. And the other thing I sort of thought was that a couple of years earlier, um, or sort of about three years earlier, my second son was born. And um, I was at the birth, you know, so my wife was in labour, and it was a quite a long sort of process... It was a, it's a long, difficult process being born. And, you know, you hear about the baby coming through the kind of birth canal and it being very traumatic uh, and it's not really very pleasant for the baby. And when the baby was born, I, um, I sort of caught, caught him when he, was, uh, when he was actually born. So his first kind of coming out of his mum and uh, cradled him uh, like that. And when I put my dad down in, in the grave, I sort of... St- sort of suddenly realised that it was exactly the same... I was doing exactly the same thing as when my son was born. But that process of kind of dying and being born, they both had this very similar sort of 
uh, difficulty about them. So sort of coming into the world, crossing the border and coming into the world, and then crossing the border and going out again. There's a similar sort of difficult, protracted uh, process. And uh, we sort of exist in the middle of that. So, you know, that being between these kind of two sort of circumstances of being born and dying felt a very kind of privileged uh, uh, situation. So that's it. <laughs> Itching to make it to an event? Our next Spark Encore is at Exmouth Market. On Thursday, the 29th of October. The theme? Be a man. Or, that's not very ladylike. Full details at stories.co.uk Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.